Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, and while you're turning, let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would have your way here. Hide me behind that old cross. And please, Lord, let no confusion be born here, but let only understanding be brought forth in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 13 is a, it's a very important chapter in the Bible because it, it, it deals with the idea of sowing and reaping. There's also a lot in here that is easily, easily misunderstood because the words that are used here are just have a little bit different meaning than when they were written than what they do in our time. And without spending too much time on that, let's just jump right in. Matthew 13, verse 1, the same day... Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So he's got a big crowd, huge crowd. And he uses the advantage that he, they had back then of projecting sound. He gets out on a ship because the sound just bounces off the water. It doesn't soak into anything. And everybody on shore can hear the amplified sound. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, we don't use that word sow very often, but of course, that means to plant. In this case, the picture is he's not digging a hole, dropping a seed, and then covering it with dirt. As you'll see here in, in other parts of the Gospels, it uses the word scatter. You can have seeds simply fall on the ground, and sometimes the rain will push it into the dirt enough. Or the seed itself is the type that the, the root that it puts out just goes down and grabs a hold enough. Not all seed has to be underground, but the picture is the sower is scattering. And in verse 4, when he sowed some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Now we're going to read about four different places where the seed fell. Resisting the temptation of going to explain each one as we read them, I think that would be a little too confusing. We're going to read through all four and then look at Jesus' explanation. So some fell by the wayside. That is a beaten path. That's where everybody is walking along the way. And in those areas, the earth is stamped hard and the seed doesn't, it's very difficult for that seed to grab a hold of the earth because there's nothing loose to grab onto. Verse 5, some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. Stones are also hard, just like the beaten ground, but what this is pointing out is there was stones mixed in, which means there wasn't enough soil. And forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. That was the third. Now here's the fourth. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. When Jesus used that phrase about if you have ears, let him hear, that's an interesting thing to watch for. It's, it always denotes something very important. See, everybody he was talking to had these paddles on the side of their heads. Everybody had ears. So what was he talking about? 
ears inside, the heart. Do you really hear what I'm saying? If you've ever raised kids, you know, you can say something to your kids or even adults. It's the nature of communication. You can say something and the other person doesn't hear anything that you're saying. They heard the words, but they didn't put it together in the way that you meant it. And so you're picturing something, they're picturing something different, you both go separate ways and there's no unity there. Jesus says, if you've got ears to hear, if you have a heart that can understand you, better listen up to this. Now there's a reason he said this. In the previous chapter, chapter 12, he was in a long, heated discussion with the Pharisees and they called him the devil. They said, you're casting out devils because you're the prince of devils, Beelzebub. And this is why then to start chapter 13, he starts talking in parables. Because now see the rest, or the the next part of chapter 13, verse 10, the disciples come and said, why speak unto them in parables? He hadn't been really doing that. After they called him the devil, there was a certain judgment that came. And Jesus says in the next five, six, seven verses, that the reason I speak to them in parables is so that I can say the same words And those people that now have this judgment on them, they won't understand a word of it. But you guys, who have the right heart, the right ears, you can understand every word I'm saying. See, we often think that, well, because Jesus was such a nice, lovable guy that everything he ever did and said, well, it was just for the better of all humanity. Well, in a way, of course it is. We don't sometimes think the reason he did something was because he passed judgment. The reason he's even speaking in parables is because those other people are in trouble. They have crossed over the threshold in their treatment with him and they're not coming back. And there's a prophecy in Isaiah that said they would have ears, but they wouldn't hear. And there'd be a people that had eyes, but they wouldn't be able to perceive anything and they'd have a heart that was completely devoid of understanding. It was hardened. It was dimmed. You know, when your heart is hardened, the Bible speaks that's a very, very, dangerous position. Why? Because God can't reach you. He can't communicate to you. Everything you hear bounces off. It, as we'll see here, it doesn't take root. It has no place in you. So that's why he's even speaking in parables. Now you get to verse 18. And it says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. So now he's going to explain that whole parable of the four places that the seed fell. Now remember, he's talking to the disciples here. The Pharisees that heard these things, the people that had the judgment passed on them, they're walking, they're going to the grocery store, the casino, wherever they're going, and it's not affecting their life at all. Even though the vibration of the words coming out of Jesus' mouth hit them just like it did the disciples. But it made a difference in the heart of the hearer. The disciples now get this explanation. Verse 19. When anyone heareth the word. Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about planting seeds. Why is he talking about words? When you go back and let your mind think, he he was talking about a man sowing seed, casting. Now to explain it, he says, when anyone hears the word. That means not just your barber's word, the postman's word, superintendent. This is talking specifically about God speaking His word. And Jesus says, when you hear that word of the kingdom and 
understandeth it not. Then what happens? Then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. There's something to really learn right here, to learn to understand the rest of Matthew 13. When Jesus gave this parable at the beginning of the chapter, he said that what came along and swooped down, grabbed the seed off the wayside? Fowls of the air. When he goes to explain it, he doesn't use the phrase fowls of the air. It's still the same picture, but what does he call those fowls of the air? Here he says, the wicked one catches away. So that's key to remember because we're going to run into birds later on in this chapter and people think, well, birds, aren't they? they're pretty. It's probably a parrot. It's probably some cockatoo, something that's pretty and beautiful. No. These birds that come along and grab the seed, they're not nice. And to a Jewish person, because remember that's who this was written by, written to it at first, they understood in their law, the way they had grown up, birds were filthy. You ever had a bird in a cage? It can be filthy. This, their law, there was many birds they were not supposed to touch. Yes, there were some doves that they could sacrifice, some, a few of them, but for the most part, these, quote, fowls of the air, the things that spent all day up in the air, filthy. The Jewish ear heard this and realized, oh, those birds aren't good. 2,000 years later, we Americans read this and we picture our parrot, our cockatoo, in our cage, and he's beautiful. He costs a thousand bucks. I mean, he must be neat. No. When the, in verse 19, when the word is sown, or when somebody hears it, what happens if you don't understand it? The verse says that Satan, the enemy, the wicked one, he comes and he steals. Well, you better, we should pause right there for a little bit. This is why it's so important not to simply only hear the word, which we're supposed to. For it to do any good, what do we have to do? We have to understand it. You've got to break stuff down small enough. And it does no good to go listen to somebody with 12 doctorate degrees if they can't make it understandable. It's useless. When we ever we teach the word, preach the word, we need to make sure, is somebody going to understand it the way it's coming out of my mouth? Because he can tell me something he knows a lot about, and in his brain he's got a great image of it. If I have had no experience with it and he tells it to me, I'm picturing something totally different. It didn't do me any good. So verse 19 tells us that the person by the wayside is, <clears throat> they didn't understand what they were hearing. That's not good. We want to understand because we'll find out something at the end of this. Verse 20. The next person, he that received the seed into stony places, and here's the explanation, the same as he that he hears the word, and that's good. But, and on with joy, he receives it, yet, or but, he has no root in himself. What is that talking about? Why introduce the word root? We're talking about seeds, and so far he hasn't even introduced the seed that has been germinated, taken root, and started multiplying. We're not even to that point. Why is he talking about a root? It's clearly painting the picture that somebody 
that hears it and they're happy about it, but if it's stony ground, if there's not enough good soil, there isn't a root in there for that seed to grab a hold. And what that is painting the picture of is somebody that already has some Bible knowledge. You know, you can talk to somebody about the life of Abraham or David or Nehemiah, and if they don't know those stories, you might as well be talking about Captain Ahab. It's hard to draw conclusions from it. They need that picture of what you're talking about. This is why Sunday school as a young kid is important. So you have the knowledge of the scriptures. You can explain it and draw more out of it as you get older, but you need to know Jonah wasn't fishing, was he? No, that's not what that story is about. He got swallowed by a fish. People need to know what those stories are, what took place in them, so that when they hear the word, they'll have a root in them that they can already, the the next word they hear can grab onto that and it's hard to pull it out now. Verse 21, Yet he hath no root in himself, but he endureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he's offended. Now what is that talking about? It's painting a picture of somebody receiving word, but persecution or tribulation comes in. It's not just any, it's not just a hailstorm or a tornado. Those things are tribulations, but it's a hailstorm or a tornado because of the word. And what that means is somebody finds out you're a Christian. Somebody finds out the teaching that you believe in the Bible, and because of that they start to mock, to question, to demean. Well, you believe that stuff? They're challenging your faith in the word. You're receiving tribulation, you're receiving persecution because of what you believe. And if you don't have good root, it can be trouble. In, when I read that something, the persecution that arises against the word, I tell you what comes to my mind. It may not be the best example. In the world, the culture we live in today, the people that believe in evolution think that those of us that believe that God created this stuff, they think we're nuts. Because they think that science is on their side. We have these genius men and women that have proven this stuff. How can you guys hold on to what you read in the Bible? See, for me, it's, this is so easy. I mean, I'm not moved even the tiniest little bit about somebody talking about evolution or really any part of science challenging God's word. And I mean none. I've got a friend who he works in the field of genetics and he's scared to death. He's a Christian, but he's always scared that science is going to disprove God somehow. I nev- that never bothers me. People, our scientists today don't know the difference between boys and girls. I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to make fun of something. I'm trying to be accurate. Look at what our science tells us. And I'm not saying every scientist believes that, but that's where it comes from. They tell us a ton of goofy, laughable things. And even if it sounds wonderful, even if it sounds beautiful, if it doesn't line up with the word, I have no problem with rejecting it because in the end, sometime, give it enough time, God's word will be shown to be perfect. Absolutely 100% correct. And in the end, Science will have to come around to, that's right. See, the Bible, forever, 
knew that the earth was round. The Bible tells us that there is, what is it, that uh, the circle of the earth. Back in the Old Testament, it tells us about God's glory and the circle of the earth. There's even evidence that Christopher Columbus read that verse in the Bible as a young man, studying the Bible and realized it must be round. It's contained in God's word. And he was sitting there with a peach and a moth was on the other side and the moth came slowly up over toward him and he could first see the wings before he could ever see the body of the moth. And something occurred to him. He said, that's exactly what happens when a ship out at sea, what's the first thing you see of it? The sail, the mast, way up at the top. And it's not until it gets closer to you that you see the body of the ship. And he realized, this sucker's round. And he was convinced, that's why he wouldn't turn back, even when his men were ready to kill him. He said, we're giving it three more days. Persecution arises for the sake of the word. If you don't have a root, and if you, if you don't really, really, really know that God's word is true, I heard a, a, a statistic this last week that I don't get scared easy, but it scared me for my generation. It says 80%, 80% of all kids raised in church turn their back on the faith in college. 80%. Now why is that? Because you have, I can say it, you have moronic professors that stand up here and make fun of people for believing the Bible. They challenge kids, and the kids were not raised in a strong enough church to teach them how to respond, to know why they believe what they believe. And so the kid thinks, well, I can't answer that, so I, maybe he's right. He's a doctor. For, he might be a doctor, but he might be on his way to hell. He might be one of the dumbest people on the planet. I'm not saying that to make fun of people, but it's true. There are people that have all kinds of learned things behind their name that don't know anything. Verse 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns. Here's the third one. We had the wayside, the stony ground that didn't have much earth, and now the thorns. He that receives seed among the thorns is he that hear the word... You always have to hear it. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. There's a lot of description in there. There's all kinds of thorns around him. And the Bible says that that is like the cares of this world. Now what are cares? Your cares may be a lot different than mine. But it's the things you... Think about on a daily basis that causes you to worry, that gives you concern. And those things take a hold of your mind and you spend all your mental energy thinking or worrying about those events that have to be looked at every day. This says that the cares of the world, it, the verb is it can choke the word. And there's a pretty good picture there. It chokes it. That another word would be to outnumber. These thorns are populate, populated enough that the good seed that is growing, it can probably compete with one other thorn bush or one other plant that's not itself. But what happens when it's surrounded by what we would call weeds? 
Those weeds grow fast, and if they grow too fast, they shade out. They can't get light to, from the sun, and pretty soon they'll wilt over, or they just won't get enough sunlight to produce fruit. And what you find here, there is a, how should we say it, there's a force of, a law of nature, really, that is at work here. If, if you have ever grown a garden, if you have ever farmed more than one acre, you understand something. Weeds will grow in any environment. Too wet, too hot, too dry, too hot, too cold. Some weeds, somewhere, if not all of them, they will grow in any environment. You don't have to plant them. They're there every year. But what about tomatoes, peppers, and green beans? The good stuff. That stuff has to be cultivated. It has to, the, the seed bed has to be prepared. It has to be planted a certain depth. It has to be watered a certain amount, given under the right conditions, enough heat, enough sunlight. What I'm getting at is you have to nurture. You really have to take care to get a tomato to grow. Anybody ever seen a tomato grow in the crack of your driveway? Never. I mean never. Not a green bean, not a pepper plant, a watermelon. It will never grow in the crack of a concrete. And yet... See, the reason you're laughing, you know where I'm going with that. Almost every weed, any weed, will grow in the crack of that dadgum sidewalk. Why is that? See, there's a, there's a law of nature there. You, don't, you didn't even plant the weed in the crack, and it grew. It takes so much more effort, so many more right conditions for the good seed to grow. And this is us. We're about to get to the point where what he talks about, the good soil, it's our heart. And the picture is, it takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of cultivating, weeding, watering, fertilizing to make that sucker grow. You can't come to church, to Bible study, once in your life, or once a month, or once in a year, and expect tomatoes to grow. It won't It'll, it's very unlikely that it will happen. Because the growth process, it is just that. It's a process. It takes time. And during time, what do you need? You need fertilizer and water, and maybe some more fertilizer and some water and a lot of sun, all during that growth process. Otherwise, if you run out right before the end, the fruit falls off the vine and it doesn't grow. But weeds, these thorns, they grow everywhere. There's something in the Bible. If you want to keep your finger there, go to Galatians chapter 5 really quick. Galatians chapter 5, because this principle is all over the New Testament. Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. Galatians 5, verse 9. A How much leaven? A little. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, if you're just if you've been an, an American your whole life and you've never put yourself in a position to understand maybe Jewish language, that may not mean much to you. What's leaven even? What is that? That's Bible language for yeast. When in the Old Testament. This is uh, talked about quite a bit, that they would always make bread. Bread was a staple of life. Everybody knew how to make it. 
And the yeast, of course, gets in there and the, the heat and the food of, the, of whatever it's in, it starts to multiply. And what does it do? It grows and grows and it puffs that thing up. And like this says, that verse says, how much leaven, how much yeast do you need? Not much. I mean, a pinch a lot of times does it. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Leaven leaveneth the, the whole lump. Now, is this a positive? Is this talking about, if you just had a little bit of God's Word, it'll just take over your whole life on its own? It's not. Leaven throughout the Bible is a picture of sin. Everywhere in the Bible. Everywhere. When you hear leaven, when you see some woman kneading bread, when there's a picture of bread rising, it's a picture of a little bit of sin got in there and what happened? Like those weeds in a garden. Just kept growing. Because if you don't take care of it, Travis would go to a pasture and if there's a thistle and he thought, it's one thistle, big deal. He'd be right for about one summer. The next summer, there's going to be multiplied many, and I'm guessing within five to ten years, that entire pasture possibly could be thistles. By doing what? Cultivating thistles? No. Just leaving it alone. So you can't do that with sin. You always have to be out there beating it back, beating it back. Always. If a little bit gets in and if it's allowed to root and grow up to flower and then plant more of its seeds, the next year you'll have a hundred times more. And that's what this whole parable is talking about. That How many of these places where the seed fell did fruit actually grow? We haven't even got to it yet. We've read the first three, and all of them so far, no fruit. Because those weeds will grow in the cracks, but tomatoes don't. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 23. But he that receives seed into the good ground, and here we are, we're finally to the one that works, is he that heareth the word... So you have to be in position to hear it. You probably won't hear it in the movie theater. You probably won't hear it at the tavern, the bowling alley, the golf course. You have to set aside time to go where? To wherever the word is being taught, preached. He heareth the word, comma, and understandeth it. Wow. Yeah, this is why sleeping through church. Now people, I'm, I'm going to be very honest. I've slept through a lot of church services. What? What's he admitting to? They just weren't in this church. When I've been in places where the pastor was basically reading the phone book, I fell asleep with a clear conscience. He was not teaching the Word. But when the Word is being taught, preached, boy, you don't want to be sleeping then. But it should, do, it should invigorate you. You know, when you stir up the ground, you take a hoe or a shovel and you turn that stuff over, there's worms, bugs, there's stuff growing. It's fresh dirt that comes up. It looks different. It's an exciting time. And the person that receives seed into good ground, they heard it and they understood it. That person which also beareth fruit, and then you bring forth some hundred some 60, and some 30-fold. And now that's good eating, isn't it? So I'm picturing corn on the cob, tomatoes, fresh potatoes, 
It's bringing forth fruit. But none of it, none of that happened by accident. The weeds do. The weeds, the thorns, the birds getting fed off the wayside, that, that can happen in any environment. Those environments naturally exist in nature. They just, the bad place is always there. There's weeds everywhere. Maybe one of the best benefits of raising a garden with kids is to teach them this parable. I had my kids just today, because you know, when you leave for vacation for a week and you come back, even though you pulled weeds before you left and you put down stuff to keep the weeds from coming up, if they just start coming up in a little bit, it doesn't take long. And those weeds, they go this tall while stuff you want to grow is half that size. Weeds grow fast. It takes constant effort to rid yourself of that stuff. And that's what our life is like. Remember that lump with a little bit of yeast, a little bit of sin, a little bit of weeds, and it just flourishes with weeds, with sin. It's ever since Adam and Eve, that's the way it's been. That's what we inherited. It won't always be that way. When Jesus comes back, this, the, the, it's going to change after that. Now, the next part of Matthew 13, the wheat and the tares. Let's see, do we want to get, let's skip down to verse 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven, so right then people think, well, that's a positive, isn't it? Kingdom of heaven. I'll bet whatever comes next is a picture of the positive happening. What we want to have happen. Now let, look, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed which, is, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. And that sounds a little bit like the Bible, that most people don't put value on it, so it's small. And, and there's some truth to that. But it says, when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that, here those filthy things are, the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. I will tell you what I, at now being 45, I think the meaning of this for me has changed significantly. That said that the mustard seed, it, it may very well be the church or faith or the word of God, but it said when it is grown, when the thing is mature, when we're at the end of the age, See, the church is not a two-week-old baby anymore. Quote, the church has been around for 2,000 years, and we got problems. we got enormous problems. And to me, it's a picture of these birds lodging in the branches. We've actually invited some of these stupid birds into the church. Remember what those birds were at the beginning. They came down and they swooped the seeds off, and then when Jesus explained it, he called the birds, comma, the wicked one. We got Satan sitting in our churches in some places, teaching, as what the Bible says, doctrines of devils. I no longer read this and think, well, this is just the church getting big and strong. The church can do that, absolutely. And at times it has, and it will. I think it's also a picture of after 2,000 years, we haven't been very good at weeding our garden. A little leaven got in, People let it stay there. They fertilized it, let it get a little too much sun. They didn't pull it up, and you know what happened? It's now getting through the whole lump. 
some of these bad teachings, these accepted ideas that the world wants us to accept and the church is gladly accepting it, unfortunately. Verse 33, Another parable spake unto them, The kingdom of heaven, again, is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now, there's no explanation given for that parable or the one directly before it, so I'm not going to make a big deal out of it other than to say there's a possibility that one thing Jesus is talking about here is that leaven, throughout the Bible, it's sin. And if a little bit gets in, it can get into every part if you're not careful. I have to tell you, I think Pastor Daryl is one of the best on planet Earth at this. Do you know why when we come in here, we all, I'll speak for myself. I never see any of you walk through there and I think, God, I don't want to speak to them. Lord, let them sit on the other side. I don't want to run into them. I'm tired of dealing with We don't have that problem here. You know why? It's not by accident. It's not by chance. And it's not just that all the good people in town just happen to end up here. (laughs) That's not it. The reason we don't have that is Pastor is a very, very good gardener. And when he spots weeds, he pulls up root and all. And he protects the sheep. That's why we grow, I think, easily. Because there's not ravening wolves. There's not weeds or thorns that are trying to choke you when you're here. Pastor is very, very good. If there's a problem, and you know sometimes problems wear pants and skirts. I'm not speaking specifically against any person or any time we've ever had here. I'm just pointing out how good our pastor is. He is extremely good at this. He knows. A little leaven gets in here, a little quabble. If he saw Randy and I arguing over tomatoes and who had the biggest cucumbers, he'd put an end to that tomorrow. He'd call a meeting and he'd say, now what are you guys fighting about? None of you would even know we had this meeting, but he would get us aside and say, you need to stop arguing in front of other people. He's good at it. This, this parable, Matthew 13, has a lot of parables. It has a lot of things that on the surface just aren't immediately understood because, well, you just make assumptions about things that are, I mean, anything that's growing must be good. Not always. Sometimes those thorns and the weeds, and the thickets, some of that stuff has to be burned out. Now, the other one parable in there that we didn't read, the wheat and the tares. We'll just quickly paraphrase it. Jesus said that a good man sowed good seed. But he left it, went to sleep, and the servants came to him and said, Sir, there's tares, there's weeds out there in the field. Didn't you plant good seed? And the servants thought there must have been weeds in your seed that you planted. And Jesus says that, no, the good man of the house, he planted good seed, but while the owner slept, what happened? The enemy sowed tares, sowed weeds out there amongst it. And then they, Jesus says in the parable, they, the servants come and said, Sir, Master, should we go out there and tear up? Should we weed it all out? And what does Jesus say? He said, Let him, leave them alone. Leave them alone because in pulling out the tares, you might damage the good seed, the wheat. 
Now, specifically speaking, Jesus went on to explain this. That parable is specifically talking about the end times. Jesus said, when he went to explain it, he said, the harvest is the end of the world. He's specifically talking about a time frame. And see, at the end, if, if people haven't been weeded out, because in that parable, they weren't just seeds, because that's what pastor's good at. He notices bad seed and he gets it out. But if it's left alone and they grow amongst them, see, I've got a garden now that I left grow when I got back from vacation and didn't really go out there and get those weeds. And so if I would try to get the weeds, you know what would come with it? Some of my cabbage and some of my watermelon and other things because the roots are now intertwined. And sometimes God lets some negative things around you. He'll leave it alone because he doesn't want to damage who? He doesn't want to damage you. He doesn't squirt Roundup on it because it might get a little bit on you and kill you. He cares for you and he's looking out. But in that parable, Jesus went on to say that the tares are the weeds, the good seed are the children of God, and it said that in the end of time, the angels will come and they'll separate them out. And it will set them, the weeds aside to burn them. It's not a good picture. A lot of teaching in that parable about the time we live in now and in the end times. The important thing to notice is you, if you see something bad, just probably leave it alone. I mean, next week it'll be easier, right? Probably not. Things have a way of getting roots around stuff that makes it hard to get it out. When you're dealing with anything that has to do with the human heart, if you find a problem, you want to get that out quick. How many people, if, when I say this, everybody's going to picture somebody you know. How many people know someone that is addicted to some substance because maybe they only tried it once? Sometimes they didn't even know they were trying it. Somebody might have slipped it in. And their entire life got changed because they tried something. A lot of this parable is keep the leaven out, the weeds. Don't even let them get started. You work hard to keep the field clean. In the one verse talking about the good ground, that's the one verse that didn't even mention weeds or thorns or stones because they were already cleaned out. You don't plant until you get that stuff cleaned out so that it can grow. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you have written in your word, and we pray that each one of us would understand the things that we read in the Bible, that the seed planted in our heart would grow to fruition so that we might follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.